good morning. And uh, it's great to see a lot of uh, visiting faces this morning. I know a lot of that's because of the baptisms. It's always great to have visitors. I met some uh, folks at the 830 service that I'd never met before. And it's just, that's always a treat for us. So whether you're here just for the baptism and we may never see you again, <laughs> or, uh, or you're trying on this church, just it's great to have you here. If you and I haven't met, my name is Brian Haybig, and I serve as one of the pastors here. And Chandler Machamel, it's spelled exactly like it sounds, uh, that is our pastor of youth and family. He was leading us in worship earlier. And if you haven't been here, we're studying through the New Testament book of, of Ephesians. This is a letter by the Apostle Paul, and we're, we're starting into the last chapter this morning. So if you don't have... well. There are Bibles in the pew racks, and uh, I love getting to announce this now. Those are for you to use, and if you need a copy of the Bible or you need a new copy of the Bible, you are free to take that Bible from the pew rack, and that will be our gift to you. You don't need to let anybody know. You can just take it. We just hope that you'll, that you'll put it to good use. But we'll be in Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 1 this morning. Uh, a few weeks ago, a friend of mine took a screenshot of a tweet, and it was a tweet of someone who had been at the most recent Christian Booksellers Association convention. So this would be a big meeting annually of people that publish and buy and distribute Christian books. Someone overheard this in a conversation and tweeted it. My friend saw it and sent me a screenshot. The tweet was, this was the conversation, uh, two people talking, one said, Christian parents of young children write books about parenting. Christian parents of adult children write books about prayer. <laughs> Enough said. There is nothing like parenting to let you feel your weakness. There is nothing like parenting to let you feel your lack of wisdom, and I, it is such a tremendous and amazing privilege, I mean, just really one of the great privileges a, a human being can have, but it really puts you through your paces, as does being a child with parents. Whether you had great parents or so-so parents or awful parents, if you had great blessing, if you had trauma, um, that puts you through your paces too. So there's a lot here for us to hear. Um, I want to read you something from earlier in the letter before I read this. Just a couple of verses. Because again, we've been looking at Ephesians over the weeks and the months. But when this was read as a letter to a church, they heard it in one hearing. Maybe multiple times heard it read to them. But here's something they would have heard just a little while ago. This is from chapter 3, verse 14. Paul says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, meaning God the Father, I bow my knees before God the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Now, in English, this doesn't come through, but the, the Greek words for father and family, you can just tell they're very related. And so it's almost a play on words as if he's saying, I bow my knees before God, who's the Father, from whom all fatherness comes, from whom all family in comes. In a way, what he's fleshing out right now is, all right, if, if a family that belongs to Jesus Christ lived in such a way that it reflected that all fatherness, all fathering, all fatherhood comes from God. What, what would that look like in practice? Let me just say this too, and I'll read the passage. Uh, Paul is still working out something. He said just a little while before this, that if you're filled with the Holy Spirit and he's acting upon you, 
here's some things that we would expect to see. We'd expect to see you singing and making melody in your heart and uh, being a grateful person and thanking God for what's in your life. But also, and this is counterintuitive to us, a person filled with the Holy Spirit would submit Submitting to other believers out of reverence for Christ. And immediately after he says, so that's what we would expect to see, he starts applying. So then what would that look like in marriage? And what would that look like now, parents and children? What would it look like master and slave in the, work, in the, in the context of work? So this morning we're looking at what does it look like when people who are full of the Holy Spirit submit to one another out of reverence for Christ in a family? Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. But bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Our Father, we ask you now, as we've asked you so many times, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A few years ago, uh, our family had some work done underneath our house. And the main guy that we dealt with that provided the service told us this statistic. And he was the first one I'd ever heard this from, but I've heard it since then. So I'm going to just report it to you as I heard it, and hopefully it's right. Actually, no, I I really hope it's not right what I'm about to tell you. He said 40% of the air in our houses, comes from underneath your house. Let the horror of that wash over you for just a second. Okay, 40% of the air in your house comes from up underneath your house. And, uh, but he cleaned up under our house. He said, you could have a tea party under your house now. We've never tried that, but apparently it's better. Someone this past week who, who knew, uh, someone on staff who knew that I was preaching on this was looking at the passage with me, and he quoted something he had heard from Sinclair Ferguson. Sinclair Ferguson, Scottish theologian and pastor, until um, recently he pastored at First Pres down in Columbia, South Carolina. Really wonderful teacher. He, he has said this, that the air that the parents breathe out is the air that the children breathe in. The air that the parents breathe out is the air that the children breathe in. And I want to share with you an example that I've seen of how that really plays out. It really works in practice. <clears throat> I've grown up in the church. Uh, I wasn't always born again. But I've been in the church essentially my whole life. So I've gotten to see um, generations of people. And I'll tell you something that I've seen in, in different churches. And that is that I've seen little boys that love to sing. Little boys that love to sing. Love to sing songs. Love to sing about God. And, um, but they watch their dads. And so over the months and the years, they watch their dad and maybe watch other dads. They want to be men and watch them in worship. And they see non-enthusiasm. 
and they see very restrained voices. And they grow up, and guess what happens sometimes? They become non-enthusiastic singers and restrained singers because this air was breathed out and they breathed it in. It's, it's humbling. It's humbling to think how uh, one generation affects another. It's humbling if you are a parent. When, and I, I bet if I interviewed every parent in here, you could tell me a moment when this happened where when you were little, you thought to yourself, well, if I'm ever a dad or if I'm ever a mom, I'm not going to do that to my kid. And there comes this moment when you have a child of your own and you do the very thing that you hated. And it's horrible. And it's revealing. Uh, however you come this morning, and I, I just, I've got to acknowledge this. I can't spend tons of time on it. For, for some of you, family has connotations of joy and stability and strength and home base. For some of you, it has connotations of trauma and pain and separation and not the Bible, and not good things, and not the Lord. However you come, I just want to say, we are on a level playing field this morning, and we need God's Word. So let's look at what Paul works out about the gospel in a family. And since he starts with children, I'm going to start with children, but I want to think about a family within the family of God. The whole church worldwide, what the creed calls the Holy Catholic Church, that's God's family. But what about individual families within God's family. So the children in God's family and the parents in God's family. So let's start off on verse 1. And before I read this, I want you to notice the thing that's hiding in plain sight. I mean, we're just kind of used to it. We open our Bible and the Bible says things to us. Think about the fact that this is a letter. The Apostle Paul writes this from prison. This is one of the prison epistles. Don't think modern day uh, prison facility, think, think something like a house arrest or something worse, probably chained to a Roman guard. He's dictating this letter. And think, as Paul's dictating a letter, and he, and he starts talking about families, he could start however he wants to, and he starts not just talking about children, but catch this, talking to children. Not telling, hey, fathers and mothers, tell this to your children in his letter, he addresses the children that he anticipates will be in the room when this letter is read as part of the community, as a real part of that church family. That's why we love children being in worship. And you know, as I say that, you may go, okay, so why did all the children just be, you know, why were they excused during worship if they're... What we're trying to do is train them how to worship and get them back in here as soon as possible because they are part of this family. They are part of this community. All right, so Paul writes to the children, not just about the children. He gives them an instruction, or two instructions, but, but there are qualifiers. So here's the instructions. Verse 1, children, obey your parents. Okay, first off, do what they say. Now, I'm going to give the same qualification here that I've tried to give all along the way when we've talked about submitting to one another. In any kind of submission relationship that God puts us in, understand that doesn't mean that that person can command what God forbids and I have to do it. Or that that person forbids what God commands and I have to do it. Submission always ultimately is to God. 
No one down here can override it. But within that, or steering clear of that, children obey what your parents say. All right, what's the other instruction? Honor your father and your mother. This is a quote from the fifth commandment. Honor your father and mother. What is honor? Well, it's more than just the absence of dishonor. In other words, it's not just, well, I won't talk bad about you and I won't cuss at you and I won't throw things at you. It would include that. But it's positively to do something in the way that I talk to you, in the way that I act towards you, in the way that I speak about you when you're not around, how I'll speak about your memory when you're gone. I'm going to do something that honors you, right? Honor your father and your mother. And now here's the qualifiers. Back to verse 1. Obey your parents in the Lord. And what does that mean? To obey your parents in the Lord. And here's the thing. In every one of these uh, spots where Paul is working out, what, what does it mean for us to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ? Anytime one Christian has to submit to another Christian, they're submitting to an imperfect person. Imperfect husbands, imperfect bosses, imperfect parents. And this is really amazing. Paul says in this letter, dictating, he says to the children in this assembly, obey your imperfect parents because behind them is the one you're really submitting to. Behind them is the one you're really obeying. And he's the same one who's behind the imperfect husband and the same one behind the imperfect master or the imperfect boss. It's the Lord Jesus himself. Obey your parents in the Lord because you love him. And you obey him. Other qualifier. <clears throat> verse 2. Go back to verse 2. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. Here's this qualifier, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. This, is, this has really kind of been a head-scratcher to people as they've looked at this passage. It comes from the law of God, but, but the question is, all right, it sounds almost like he's saying, children, obey your parents and life will go great. You know, or like, children, obey your parents and that earns good things in your life. That, that can't be what Paul is saying. I mean, this is the letter where Paul says, what you have, you have by grace. You didn't earn it. It's a gift. So why is he saying, if you obey, then you get this. It almost sounds transactional. Here's what he's going back to. God is the God of the covenant. And we already heard about that this morning in these baptisms. We're in a covenant community. And that's not just like cool Christian lingo. I know I move weird during sermons, and it's just going to have to be part of our lives together, okay? If you've been around, you've accepted that. Uh, God binds himself to his people in the most binding way two parties can in covenant. It's been defined as a bond in blood, sovereignly administered. I'm in covenant with you, you're in covenant with me. And there are terms to that covenant. At Mount Sinai, God made very clear to his people, I'm making a covenant with you and here are the terms. And he gives the law. So what is Paul saying? Is he saying, hey, if you obey God's law, good things happen to you? Well, he's echoing what God said to his people all along. I mean to bless you. 
And the instrument through which I'm going to bless you is going to be when you walk in my ways. Does it earn, so, does it earn something from me that I have to give to you? No. But it's fitting that my people, that when we marry each other, that you keep the terms of the marriage. And one of those terms that will set you up for blessing is when children honor their parents. It fits. It accords. It's the way God made his people and it's the way God made the world. God made the world in such a way that obedience fits. And this God says things in scripture like, Oh, that you would keep my commandments that it might go well with you. That I might bless you. So Paul echoes that as he speaks to, to children about their, their parents. Now, I don't know how many children are still in here. And I don't know what age is the cutoff or if you're a child or not a child. But I want to talk to the children for a second. I hope you've been listening anyway. But I, I, I want you to think about Harry Potter. And I want you to think, if, you, if you've read those books or if you've watched those movies or both, you know that Harry has a hard life. And Harry, first off, did not ask to grow up without his mom and dad there. But that was his situation. And he did not ask to have this, you know, one-of-a-kind scar on his forehead from Voldemort. But he shows up with it. And that has all kinds of connotations for his life. And he doesn't ask to grow up with his awful aunt and uncle and cousin, the Dursleys. But he does. All right, now let me ask you this. If you've read the books and if you've watched the movies, if you could talk to Harry Potter in the first or the second book and give him some advice. And, and if you couldn't tell him how the stories end, if you couldn't like pull him aside and say, okay, we're all good because in volume seven, da 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 But if you could just give him one piece of advice for how to navigate all these stories, what would you tell him? Now, I don't want to answer for you, but don't you think it would be good advice to tell him, look, even when you're confused, and he's confused in so much of the stories, or even when you're angry, and he's angry in the stories, or you're hurt, or you don't know, or you're overwhelmed, listen to Dumbledore. He's not perfect, but whatever you do, listen to Dumbledore. He's trying to help you, and he knows a much bigger picture than you do. Um, I know that growing up with a mom and dad telling you what to do is not easy. We should acknowledge that in church sometimes. It's not easy to grow up with a mom and dad that get things wrong. And every mom and dad gets some things wrong. But what is God saying in his word to us? He's saying, listen, your parents are not perfect. And they're going to make mistakes. But it's not a mistake that they're your parents. I gave you your parents. And they understand a bigger picture than you do. I know sometimes it looks like they are just like looking at life like this. But they see a bigger picture than you do. And even when you disagree, even when you think they're blowing it, even when you think they're embarrassing you, or you know they're embarrassing you, listen to them and obey them. And let's make no mistake, it's going to be hard sometimes. And that's teaching you something. That's teaching you 
that life is hard. And even when I'm confused, I have to go with who God has raised up for me. Ultimately, I've got to go with what God says when I can't see him. That's how we walk by faith. Listen to your parents and obey them. Uh, I want to say this too. Children, uh, have you ever met a bully? Or are there any bullies in your school? There are bullies in school. There's bullies after school. There's bullies in the world. There's a big one in Russia right now. Uh, Bullies are bad. There are bullies on the outside of us. But you know what the scriptures say? There's a bully in us. It's called our sin. That bully's in you. And your mom and dad have that same bully. And that bully will tell you, don't listen to them, you know better. That's when the bully is bullying you. Don't listen to it. Listen to the Lord saying, obey your parents and honor them, even when it's hard. All right, parents, you're next. Parents in God's family. Verse 4, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, this is interesting. He could have said parents, but he says fathers. He acknowledged just right before this parents and quoted honor your father and your mother. But it, it seems to be the case that he addresses fathers, A, because that would imply mothers as well. But the fathers in this cultural context basically have all the authority in the family. And they would be responsible for any discipline or any instruction of the child. So Paul does identify, I'm talking in a specific way, to the fathers. There's a negative command and a positive command. What's the negative command? Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Now, Paul could have started any way he wanted to. And the way he decided to start was fathers... Don't provoke your children to anger. Does that tell you anything? A child just said no. I think it does. I I, I disagree. It seems to indicate that fathers in a very specific way need to hear that. Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. How do fathers, and more broadly, how do parents provoke children to anger? Oh, how do we provoke thee? Let me count the ways. Here's just a sampling. We have a double standard. Don't use that word when I use that word. Don't leave that lying around when I leave that lying around. Be considerate when I'm inconsiderate. Double standards drive children up the wall. How about this one? We pretend that the relationship is horizontal. I mean, even with young children, when it's especially vertical, and as you get older, hopefully that relationship kind of does this, and as we get, become adults together, we're, we're more of a horizontal relationship. But early on, it's very, very vertical, and we'll try to pretend that, it, that it's horizontal. And so parents will frame things like, almost like I'm coming up with an idea and I'm just bouncing it off you, but really I'm telling you to do this. Children figure that out. So fast, like, hey, I had an idea. Like, what if we cleaned up our rooms today? Now, if you have a super compliant child and they clean up their room, you feel like, 
I'm awesome at parenting. If you don't have a compliant child, then you get into it. And they're angry because you fr- it's like a bait and switch. You framed it like, hey, here's an idea that I'm throwing out to you, and really, you're telling me to clean my room. There's another way that we do this pretend horizontal thing, and it's when this is so pervasive, and I've, and I've engaged in it too. Parents put okay at the end of everything. You know, hey, I need you to be a buddy and clean up your room, okay? Well, what if they say, no? Where are we? Is it an order or not? I'm not saying okay is sin. I'm just saying, are we forever sending the signal that, you know, we're just kind of peers. I'm just a little bit older than you. When we know that's not the case. We don't trust our children. Now, a child can give you some really great reasons not to trust him or her. And we should learn from those and be wise. But what's provoking is when a child really has tried to earn trust and to demonstrate trust, and we won't extend the trust. It provokes children. Here's a related one, is when we don't ever recalibrate. We talk and relate to a 15-year-old like she's five, or a 16-year-old like he's six. That doesn't work, and that irritates children. That you're treating me like I'm five, but you're also expecting me to do these 15 and 16-year-old things. Which is it? We live vicariously through our children. You know, I, I really wanted to be good at that sport, but, uh, but I didn't have an opportunity. and We couldn't afford things like coaches and summer camps. So you're going to have coaches and you're going to have sports camps and you're going to do on travel teams. And maybe that child doesn't want to do that, but the parent wants to. And is angry that he or she didn't get to. So you're going to. That provokes children. And we suffocate them. Oh, we suffocate them. Just being on top of everything and overanalyzing everything. And tech has only dialed this up that we can sort of be all up in their business. Whether they're physically in front of us or not. Is there healthy checking in? Of course. Is there, is there healthy things like curfews or I need to send you a text to say it's time to come home? Yeah, absolutely. But can we just absolutely suffocate children sometimes? Yes, and it's provoking. Uh, what is the positive command? Bring them up. And this is actually the same verb that Paul used just a few verses back when he's talking to husbands about how to love their wives, how to take care of their wives, he says, hey, love your wife in the way that you would nourish or cherish your own body. The, the verb that's translated nourish there is the same verb for bringing up your children. In, in other words, very hands-on, very concerned with how this turns out, very favorably disposed to care for this thing or this person. Bring your child up that way. Not suffocating, but yeah, hands-on, interested, favorably inclined toward. What does that involve? Training or discipline and instruction, all right? Discipline and instruction. Now, I'm just going to qualify. I can't make all the qualifications I need to about discipline. I'm going to try to mention a few things. Discipline may have been 
terrible for you in your upbringing. It may have been traumatic. That is not what is commended in the Scripture. Period. What is being commended? And really, I think maybe the best commentary on this is this passage in italics under the Ephesians passage. This is from Hebrews 12. I'm just going to read this. And the writer is using the same term. It's the same Greek word, paideia, discipline. Listen to how he says God disciplines his children. How we learn the way it's supposed to be from him. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. Now, let's acknowledge, when it comes to disciplining, every parent in this room or every potential future parent is capable of over-disciplining or under-disciplining. Why do we over-discipline? Number one reason has to be anger. My worst, worst Worst memories of fathering are me when I'm angry. Period. Severity. Sternness. The worst. Anger is big and fear. See, because this thing happens, especially if you've got real, real powerful dreams about how you want your family to be. If you've got really powerful dreams about how you want this child to be, that child moves on you. And he or she grows into his or her own person. It always deviates from the dream. And man, we who love control and we, we see that dream slipping away, it makes us afraid in the way it comes out with, I'm going to get this thing under control. We'll over-discipline. Probably the more pervasive problem is under-discipline. Why do we under-discipline? Um, exhaustion. We just wave the white flag. I know you have been awful. I know I should do something. I'm about to die. I'm so tired. Watch TV and I'll see you in the morning. Exhaustion. Or you're in a public place and they do something and you say, you know, like, hey, when we get home, we're going to deal with that. And you get home and you just could die. You're so tired. So we don't do anything. Which was a form of discipline. We, uh, we may confuse not disciplining with grace. Like, hey, I, I'm never going to make you feel like you're really in trouble. I'm never going to do something that seems painful at the moment, Hebrews 12. I, it, I'm almost going to just deal with you as a peer because, hey, I believe in grace. I don't believe in law. By that definition, God doesn't, God doesn't understand grace. God brings discipline into our lives that is very painful because he loves us and he's demonstrating that he's loving us and that he's our dad. We are uh, under discipline because, oh, because of guilt. I work and I work and I work and I work and I'm not spending time with you like I want to or need to. And I feel guilty when I get home and you get in trouble. So out of guilt, I'm not going to be the heavy. I'm going to be the fun parent. And so I'm not going to discipline you. 
because I feel guilty for how much we're not around each other. Or we just don't know how. And brothers and sisters, especially if you're kind of reaching back for help in your past and there's just kind of nothing there to help you in this area, this is why you not only need other believers, you need older other believers. Not just peers comparing notes, which can be the blind leading the blind, but older believers speaking into your life about here's what we've seen. And you know what? The parents that I've seen that did the best job parenting and and they've seen the best fruit in their children's lives, they're not the ones that grab the mic that say, hey, let me tell everybody about how to parent. Typically, the people that grab that mic are not the ones that need to grab that mic. You may have to go find the person that did it wisely to learn how to do it. There's discipline and there's instruction. I'm going to be a little bit briefer on this, but Paul was raised, when I tell you a strict Jew, I mean, he was raised with a Pharisaic upbringing. He was raised to be and was a Pharisee, devout Jewish upbringing. His mom and dad, I would assume, would have said, you raise your children in the discipline and instruction of the Torah, of the law. And Paul is a friend of the law of God. But what he says to these parents is, Bring those children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Meaning, yeah, they do need to learn the law of God. Yeah, they do need to learn our doctrines. These parents just vow to teach their children the doctrines of our holy religion. But at the end of the day, what do we want children to know? Bible trivia? At the end of the day, is it to learn catechism questions and answer the right questions? We want them to know the Lord. Let me go back to the anger thing. One of the reasons why I just wince at some of my memories of my own anger and sternness is that besides all the other bad things about it, it tells a lie about God. Did you hear the assurance of the gospel from Psalm 103? That he doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. And as a father has compassion on his children, he has compassion on those who fear him. He remembers that we're dust. He remembers that we're weak. Not sending that signal. The end game is that children know the Lord. Not just that they say yes sir and no ma'am. That's great. But do they know the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and love God? That's the instruction. Now, parents, what are some takeaways? I'm going to give one of the same takeaways that I gave about marriage. If you're here and you have children, especially if you've had children for several years and you've been doing this parenting stuff for several years, uh, don't you think that you and I might have something to apologize for? And I would just share with you that I've multiple times had some of you tell me my parents have been in church their whole lives, my parents are Christians, my parents are Bible people. They have never once apologized for anything couldn't it be that bearing the fruit of repentance might be that either in the moment or now circling back maybe years later maybe doing this today to to say to a child for that thing for that way that I've been I'm sorry I don't want to be that to you and I don't want you to become that to apologize and then secondly parents 
you know, the psalmist talks about meditating on the great works of God. Meditating on the wonders of God. You know what's one of God's wonders that we need to meditate on? Like soak in the tub and really get it in our bones. Is how God parents us. Man, have you ever thought about if God is the one ultimately who has the right to discipline me. And he always gets it right. If you think about what all God could discipline me for. And what all he has disciplined me for, I'm almost scared to say this from up front. It's almost like he hardly disciplines at all. He does. I'm just saying, against the backdrop of all the sin he could discipline, so much restraint. And when I think about knowing him for decades now, has he ever wrenched my arm behind my back like, obey me. Or did he show me the way and sometimes let me absolutely bloody my own nose? And then when I turn to him, he's there. But we parents need to meditate on how God parents us. Or we will like pick and choose the parts like, yeah, that part right there, children obey your parents. In fact, we're going to sing that, children obey your parents. We're going to seize on the part that serves us and not think about who is God to me. Uh, Let me end with this because children and parents have a lot to be convicted about from this passage. I I was once just with a group of men. One of them had a son in college. The son in college had done something stupid. It incurred an expense. And the son couldn't pay it. So he comes to his dad like, can you help me with this expense? And it's an expense that's from the son's own stupidity. Stupid tax, as we call it. And uh, so, so it's a, a group of men, you know, with, with sons and daughters. And, and, we're, and it's kind of talking about dads. And, and so he's asking, should I pay the money? He said, I mean, he's a, he's a responsible guy. works hard. This was a mistake. But like, should I pay it? If I do that, am I enabling him or... What should I do? And an older dad, who's a Christian, he said, you know what? This wouldn't always be the answer. You could do that in a way that's enabling. But he said, I know you, and I know your son, and I know how you raised him. And I think this is just one of those times where you say, hey, son, I got it. And that's what daddies are for. Um, Children who've dishonored their parents... Adult children who've dishonored their adult parents. Parents who've just really messed it up. Do you know what the gospel says? It says that in Jesus Christ you can turn to God. And God says, hey, you know what? I know, I know. I know you've blown it. I got it. You're clean. It's paid for. I love you. I'm I'm so glad to be your God. I got it. That's the gospel we need to hear today. Amen. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, we want to reflect what you're like to each other. We want to reflect what you're like to children. Have mercy on us as we fail But Lord, use us and grant us repentance and help us to tell the truth.
to children, even other children, not our own, what you're like. Father, would you help us and change us to honor our parents, to empathize with them, and to would reflect the way that you have shown us honor when we didn't deserve it. Lord Jesus, thank you for washing us clean. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.